Welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and my co-host and producer. Brighter later. Hey, guys. And today we're going to talk about the benefits of colonialism. Everybody talks about the negatives. Everybody demonizes colonialism. But the benefits, I think, outweigh the, the, the uh, negatives. Um, we've transformed, you know, very primitive societies into uh, thriving civilizations. Uh, we've improved life for people all around the world, uh, and especially in the United States, beyond measure. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to start off with an article by Bruce Gilley. If everybody's familiar with Bruce Gilley, if you're not, look up Bruce Gilley. Bruce Gilley uh, writes an extremely interesting article uh, about uh, the positives of colonialism. Yeah. I, so, as I mentioned, his name is Bruce Gilley. He wrote an article in 2017 titled The Case for Colonialism in what I believe is one of the best foreign policy journals uh, in the country. He's a professor at Portland State, and I guess he, uh, his expertise is mostly in China, but <clears throat> I guess in Chinese foreign policy. And this article, this article was peer-reviewed. It went through everything possible, and the outlash or and the backlash to it was everyone was or board members on the, on this article resigned. They eventually had to pull the thing. The guy got death threats, and just so all sorts of crazy things. I mean, you constantly people wrote that uh, denying or saying uh, colonization is good is tantamount to saying the Holocaust is good, which. It shows you that these people are incredibly emotional about uh, colonization, and he was obviously he was focused on sub-Saharan Africa, but they were so uh, emotional about it that they just thought this guy's horrible and he's defending Nazis or something uh, tantamount to Nazism. Which I think, if you actually look at some of the the tenets of what he actually wrote, which the the gist of the article or the conclusion of it is essentially that uh, they find a world trade economist who says that oh we should start to build a these kind of like uh, mega cities in Africa or try to build uh, very modern kind of avant-garde cities in Africa. And he thinks that, okay, well, this should portend uh, good habits in Africa. And he essentially says that this is what happened during colonization. And of some, of the th some of the things he references in report in, uh, in support of colonization in his first article, he says, quote, a sobering World Bank report of 1996 noted Almost every African country has, has witnessed a systematic regression of capacity in the last 30 years. The majority had become had, had better capacity at independence than they now possess. He also says, the preservers, facilitators, and collaborators of colonism, as already shows, far, far outnumbered the resistors, at least until very late. Imperial, imperial expansion was frequently the result not just of European push, but of also indigenous pull. So let, let's let's pause that for a second. So what he's saying is that since colonialism has ended, they've regressed, regressed in their progress, and, and that the, the, it wasn't just the colonialists that, that wanted to, you know, improve uh, the places that they colonized. It was also the indigenous population. Right. I should say uh, two other two other things before we go on. He says he says in this initial article concerning living standards. The Frikima and Wachima paper that kind of her sights on real wage growth in British colonial Africa, 1880 to 1965, which is meant to test the thesis that Africa suffered from impediments to growth due to geography and colonialism, showed instead that both are untrue. Real wage growth, real wages increased during the colonial era and all of the countries were studied, and that such growth rates were in line and sometimes even outpaced the growth rates of real wages of unskilled workers in London during the 19th century. One last thing he says that's very in pro. He says, concern. Oh, actually, that's uh. Let's see if there's one other thing. 
that I wanted to reference. Oh, one more. He said, no less an anti-colonial hero than China Achaba, which I'm, not, I'm sure I'm butchering his name, ended his days with a memoir that explicitly affirmed the positive contributions of colonialism to governments in his native Nigeria. It is important to for- face that British colonies were more or less expertly run, he wrote. So the gist of his article, the first article, is he basically said a bunch of, I mean, pretty much clear facts that, okay, well, you can see that Africa is not doing as well today as it was doing in the past, and he chalks us up to colonialism. So, well, but, me, yeah. Before but, we go, before we go deep into too deep into Africa, let's let's go back to the United States for a while. Let's let's start on that. Um, I definitely want to go ahead. I, I think it might be worthwhile because we already made these points just to to give the backlash of it. Sure. So, immediately they said that. Well, a Washington Post article underscores this pretty well that. Well, there are some benefits to colonialism, and you could see some sort of uh, or general benefits throughout the country that uh, this is missing. This is missing the point, and they like to reference racism. And another thing they like to reference is that, oh well, even though even though some studies show that uh, well, colonialism actually went well in some of these places or in general, it's the case that well, a lot of these countries were ultimately wealthy beforehand, and thus they kind of uh, they ultimately kind of uh, were, an imp- were they were ultimately an impediment to the growth because. They ultimately kind of pimped out these countries and they took all the resources and they left kind of like uh, merchants to kind of do the rest, which this is known as the reversal of fortune. And it's essentially argued in the early, mostly, I think, in the early 20th century that, uh, oh, well, colonialism, the problem with it is that a lot of the countries that were that maybe you could argue the countries without resources, that they installed some sort of laws or some sort of legal system, that maybe that was okay, But the countries that actually had resources, it actually didn't pan out for the best. And they love to reference an article from 2002, which basically shows a couple uh, African countries that had quote unquote urbanization. And there's a bunch of problems with this. One is that they're essentially saying they're relying on anecdotes and inferring from that, that they can actually draw or concoct some sort of urbanization. And then they like to uh, do parallels and they say, oh, well, look at the African parallelization, look at the African industrial uh, or urban areas compared to the rest of the world. And then they say, well, it's poor today. So that obviously shows that racism is the case. But right. what, one, you could argue that that's, that's nonsensical on so many levels. And they're literally relying on anecdotes to say that these places were prosperous with no economic data. But another problem is that they love to rely on the study from 2002 that basically shows this and shows, oh, well, we can show that these urban are these, these areas that uh, we can infer were urban have done uh, much less well uh, after post-colonization. So therefore colonization was horrible. But there was a study from the London School of Economics that basically accounted for, okay, well, why don't we account for rural areas or the total population in these areas? And it showed that, no, there's actually no correlation between this. And even if, even if you accept that, oh, these places were actually urban, it shows that no, colonialization, colonialism actually did no kind of dent in what actually happened with these places, even if you accept that they were urban. <laughs> So that just kind of shows the nonsense of these people. And you find this, this is something that comes up a lot is that they love to argue that uh, there's some sort of reversal of fortune. And they argued that there's, there's a, a slew of evidence in regards to this, that uh, cl- colonialization essentially showed that, oh, well, maybe you can argue that some of these places with laws, which uh, I, I should argue another point, which I forgot to reference is that. Uh, well, let me see. Try, try to try to go point by point. That way we don't, you know, it's not, not a very real long winded uh, speech. Yeah. Of course. So, so there's there's much more to it than that. Um, there were no two story buildings in Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa when clo- the colonials first came in. Uh, there was no two two story buildings. They had not discovered the wheel. 
um, there's that most, if not all of the all of the different African languages didn't have a written form of their language, which is a cornerstone of the foundation of building a civilization. You cannot build a civilization unless you have a written form of your language. And most, if not all, sub-Saharan African languages did not have a written form. They do now, but that was created by the colonialists, not by the not by the indigenous people. And so that alone is a tremendous benefit to the Africans to have a written form of their language. Uh, not to mention the monetary system, not to mention the agriculture, the advanced agriculture that we brought. You know, they lived in the area, but they weren't as adept at uh, agriculture as the Europeans were. They just weren't. Um, Shipbuilding, um, as I said before, the uh, you know, as far as uh, as far as uh, ar architecture, everything was improved. Rule of law was improved. You know, yeah. you, had, you had more of a stringent rule of law than just um, you know, doggy dog. Yeah, I I, sh I should say really quickly that to. Uh... A study that he referenced that I forgot to a study that he pulled up in his initial article which I forgot to reference was that he showed a study from uh, 1955 to 2013 with the former West African colonies and it showed that there was a substantial positive correlation in the countries that actually retained the French constitution as opposed to the ones that totally repudiated thus again I mean colonization should be if colonization was such a pernicious force then it should be the reverse but Obviously, as we saw, that they like to split hairs, which sometimes they even concede that the constitution of a lot of these countries uh, that they inherited from the West, they were actually better. But once again, they like to argue this reversal of fortunes nonsense, which is what a lot of it seems to revolve around, because it's now shown on general that countries, and there's a famous study from 2006 that showed that countries that were under colonial rule the longest tend to be the best off. So obviously with these just seemingly uh, all-encompassing studies, they try to upend it by saying that, well, I think maybe these countries were richer to begin with and these just totally fall flat. I, I should say two other points that I think totally underscore the nonsense of uh, that Bruce Gilley had to deal with is that one of the things, and this came from a Washington Post article among all places, where they said 90% of the conflicts can be tied back to colonial countries in Africa, which he showed he showed with this that the quote they're referencing is like astute uh, 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 I don't know, scholarship is actually from a piece is from a random piece from uh, a random piece from 1900 with no source to back that up. And that this is referenced in the Washington Post as far as the the slew of evidence in, in, uh, against colonization. Another quote that was uh, promptly referenced is that uh, they claim that colonization killed a one third of people or one third of people uh, during the time of colonization were killed in sub-Saharan Africa, which the problem with that is that uh, the, he shows that the reference that it's pulling from uh, was doing with a slew of population and basically just grasped its straws as well. Well, one of the one of the good countries that is one of, one of the countries is a good example of the the effects of colonialism is South Africa. Everybody talks about the evils of South Africa and the apartheid system. As soon as the white South Africans turned over the the control of the country to the indigenous people, the black South Africans, everything went completely to hell. Right. Everything, everything went to hell. It went from the strongest economic uh, power, uh, the strongest economy, the most thriving nation in, in sub-Saharan Africa uh, to back to a third world country. It, it became horrible. Uh, the crime is through the roof. Uh, I remember there used to be a show called 60 Minutes 2. It didn't last for very long. It lasted for maybe four or five years. And uh, there was a, they did a, a thing on uh, the rape in Africa. And how since Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu took over, 
the rape rate had went up by around 500%. So five rapes for every one rape that occurred under apartheid. And uh, these were rapes of everybody, white women, black women. It was ma mainly black women, actually. So apparently when you become free, uh, you get to uh, revert, revert back to the old ways, which is just rape everybody in sight. Yeah, I, I should say that uh, the Bruce Gilley article, he starts it off with, I mean, prep, I'm guessing this probably wasn't the impetus for it, but rather an excuse of an MP from South Africa, where they basically said that, oh, we should look at countries like Taiwan that's a, actually benefited from uh or hong kong rather that benefited from english colonial rule and actually became very successful states and we should try to uh, reincorporate they reincorporate that uh, for here in africa and right away this shows you everything you need to know that the country thought about uh, throwing this person in prison they tried to sanction them all for saying that uh, no english values actually are good which one should show that one should show that if you actually take uh take what we've been saying as, as truthful that uh colonialization actually tends to portend good things the more you accept it then that shows that these people w are willing to repudiate all aspects of it you know japan and, uh, japan after being defeated in world war ii colonialism took over we, we took we basically we we took over the rule of japan uh they had limited autonomy and uh, japan now is one of the most successful most thriving countries on the planet and one of the safest yeah I, I should say one last thing uh, on Africa that is referenced by uh, Bruce Gilley, but they they love to reference that uh, colonization has caused such racism and such horror in that respect. And he loves going, he, he goes against it because they reference the Kenya campaign and he argues that that's justified, which I'm not going to go too deep into because that requires a lot of history. But to, the one thing they love referencing and they love referencing the Congo uh, in the early 20, in the early 20th century, you had like rubber merchants in the Congo that were going around different tribes and just brutalizing the people if they didn't produce enough rubber. And they love arguing that uh, King Leopold, who was the, the uh, I guess the king of Belgium at the time, who was, uh, that was a colony of, uh, uh, the Congo was a colony of Belgium. They love arguing that, well, this shows how horrific colonization is because, oh, he was the king of this place and look what it did. It cut off people's hands. But what they're not referencing here or not understanding is that they, the Belgians didn't actually control those areas. Those were controlled by merchants. They were in effect, uh, I guess if you want to say colluding with uh, outsiders or they were ultimately just doing like business exchanges with outsiders and they were garnering a bunch of money. Which... Yeah, well, it wasn't like the country of Belgium was, was the one that was in control. Yeah. It, was, it, was the, it was the different merchants that were coming in and doing business with the local merchants. Yeah, well, they were African merchants that were doing all the all the all the killing from this which these people don't understand which the other irony in this is that a lot of these people like to argue that uh, well colonization actually would have done much better or colonization isn't good or maybe some things are good for it but it would have been much better if these places were able to interact on their own or to interact with the west on their own and then they would have had a much more kind of a i don't know egalitarian uh, outcome but the problem with this outcome the problem with this is that it's no, they were the West was actually totally insulated from the places they operated from, and they were still, uh, I guess, seemingly from the West, they were still operating under the assumption that oh, well, they're just doing business with us. Which the problem was, they were killing each other and just doing absolutely horrific things. So, this notion that uh, oh, well, the West, it be the West should have uh, not entered in through a, a colonialization or through a arrangement to, under the guise of coloniz colonization and should have instead operated under business is nonsense because. 
if the West had actually totally uh, superimposed itself in those areas, it would have seen the kind of genocides that were being taken place and it would have stopped those. But because it had just entered, entered under the arrangement of, oh, we're just doing business with these people, they didn't get to see how horrifically unscrupulous the business practices were. Which well, is what, a, what, bo- what bothers me is, is that they, they keep blaming the, the Western, civil, Western civilization for the abhorrent practices, the barbaric behaviors of, of, of the indigenous people. It's kind of like with the blood diamonds. It's somehow it's somehow blamed on Western civilization that there are African gangs chopping children's legs and arms off with machetes. Now that's not that's not how is that how is that the fault of the people that buy diamonds? Right. You know. So you know it's it's like it's like trying to blame child slavery in India uh, on uh, on the fact that uh, we we do business with textile industries in India. No. We, we, you know, your business practices are, are your own. Nobody makes you do these things. Nobody even encourages you to do these things. You, this is the way you've decided to, to, to go about doing things based on your own society and culture. Obviously, these are the norms in your society and culture. And how that's the fault of anybody but your own, I have absolutely no idea. Right. Uh, you know, no idea. How, how, is, how is it that doing business with somebody makes, some, makes the, the people uh, take it so far that they chop arms and legs off uh, of children to co- because they're competing with other other uh, gangs. Yeah, I, I should uh, I actually already reference this, but uh, this is what absolutely dumbfounded me because they love referencing a study that showed that oh well it would have been more egalitarian if uh, the West didn't colonize these places. Which is the problem is if you look at instances where the West was not uh, was doing business with certain uh, African countries, well not under colonization, you find absolutely brutal impact. You find absolutely brutal stuff, and you do not find the same phenomenon under colonization in right. their economics, which it's like kind of this weird, which you see a lot of this where they'll just ignore, they'll seemingly be oblivious to things and then put such an emphasis on other things and not realize that, uh, no, the stuff you ignored actually totally contradicts your argument and shows it to be far-fetched, which is, I, you can find this with a lot of it. I find anything to do with race that. Uh, or anything that they purport that seemingly has to do with race in their minds, they get so emotional about it that they don't listen to any counter arguments unless they do stupid things. They say stupid things like that. Well, let's let's go over some of the positives of, of in general of, of colonialism. So education. Colonialism falls into two broad categories. Settler colonialism, which which turned out to be the, the case with the American colonies, and then there's an exploitation colonialism where the nation was subjugated, enslaved, and bled dry. So, you know, according to them. But one of the effect, one of the after effects of colonialism, uh, it says basically is it emphasizes, emphasizes uh, education, where the locals were taught uh, the queen's language to help uh, facilitate communication, as well as imparted uh, key skills. So it increased the skills of, of the of the local natives. Uh, and it, it, it gave them an education. Um, the fact remains this system of three R's, writing, reading, and arithmetic was introduced by the settlers. And this emphasis on education continued well after the colonial powers had left for the, mo- for the host nation. So they brought reading, the, the fundamentals of education, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And they taught them another language. And they, they gave them skills that they normally wouldn't have had. Um, this is this this is not something that, that the colonialists take away with them when they leave. The, you know the people should still have it. Should still see the benefit of it. 
Right. It says, in, in fact, some nations excelling in various fields of education happen to be nations like India, Australia. Uh, while India became the, the jewel in the crown, Australia became a penal colony for the Brits. So then they have the second one, infrastructure. The colonial powers spent vast amounts of money and labor building key essential infrastructure on the, on, in the colonies. Now, you can say that they did that for their own benefit, but it also benefited the people. So they did it for their own benefit so that, so that these places were livable. It also makes it more livable for the people. Uh, the, the largesse was not aimed at improving the quality of the living for the locals, but was rather aimed at making the life cozy for the, their uh, compatriots. Whatever the you know whatever the motivation is, the fact is some of the colonial expansion saw vast roads, train tracks were being built, ferries. So if you know like a ferry to ferry across a river, uh, lots of people with with uh, you know purpose of uh, facilitating transportation between different places in the country uh, were employed. Right. I, I should say that uh, in, in regards to train or in regards to trains, I guess throughout to India's colonization, India set up like a massive kind of train uh, uh, framework in the country. And it's usually been seen that, oh, well, this actually spurred a bunch of problems for them. Why'd they do this? They debased the lands, blah, blah, blah. You can read a myriad of essays from this. And I'm sure anyone that's familiar with kind of the, I guess the debates on Indian colonization will see this. But uh, a couple of years ago, there was an MIT Indian economist that showed that no, in every way, he did a study showing that in every way Indian Indians uh, or I, I guess uh, England's uh, building of a railroad in India actually was an economic prosper was an economically prosperous things for the locals there, and that this idea that it was a pernicious thing is absolutely ridiculous. And sadly, it took him ten years to write that because there was such few data on it. Because the conclusion that oh this was horrible is already presupposed. Well, one of the benefits that affects all all colonized people is health. The introduction of Western medicine, better sanitation and sanitary habits, the life expectancy of both the colonists and the natives vastly improved. What this did was to usher in a medical revolution of sorts. And now the, pop, the, the local populations were able to get uh, treated effectively for whatever it was that they had going on, what kind of every type of ailment they had. Uh, that wasn't the case in the past. If you got ailed, if you, uh, you know, develop some sort of ailment, um, in most cases you just died of it or you suffered from it or, you know, maybe it went away or, but this was actual Western medicine that took care of your health problems. Uh, tremendous difference uh, and, and a, a long lasting legacy. Right. Yeah. It's weird that uh, one of the things I find is they like to say that, Oh, health wasn't as good. And then they'll reference like health standards from like, uh, or modern day and not, and not reference and not realize that to, uh, we're dealing with like post 1880 or post like 19th century, which obviously shows that uh, these people don't actually understand what they're talking about because health standards uh, increased dramatically throughout uh, throughout the world during that time. And I'm I'm sure I'm certain that uh, if Africa was never colonized, colonized, especially because colonized and uh, they were left kind of to do what they wanted to do, you would not see the uh, average life expectancy in Africa be over 60. You know. There are regions of Africa where there are people who still run around naked with bones to their nose, living in grass and mud huts, uh, sitting over a fire for food, like they did back in the caveman times. No written form of language, um, you know, squeaks and grunts as is, 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 is part of their language, and uh, extremely primitive living. 
So the idea that colonialism didn't didn't have any type of impact on these primitive cultures is absolutely ridiculous. Right. I mean, some of those places still exist because they weren't touched by colonialism. Right. And if you think that's the better way to go, I mean, you, you know, feel free to strip naked and go out in the jungle and or deep in the woods and, and live that way. Nobody's stopping you. Right. For all we these people that, that harken back to the, uh, you know, the old days. If you want the old days, the old days are waiting out for you in the middle of the jungle. Right. We should say that uh, I think I think both of us have uh, yet to reference this, but uh, the one African country that was never colonized was Ethiopia. I believe Ethiopia currently doesn't have a government right now. <laughs> And is an absolute mess <laughs> right. at nauseum, which it's one of actually the worst. I believe Ethiopia, Ethiopia or Somalia is one of the poorest. Well, I, I know it's one of the poorest countries, and it's also one of them, one of the countries never to be colonized, which should tell you everything you know that the the one country in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, that was never colonized should be some like bastion of innovation and not at all a third world country, which unfortunately it's not. It's an absolute third world country. Of course. Well, even look at the Middle East. Look at look at the uh, you know the the Muslim world. Uh, a lot of Muslims, a lot of Middle Eastern people get mad because they say that there were no nations; they were all just one giant people. Yeah, it was one giant giant chaotic mess filled with war and uh, and bloodshed and chaos. And yes, the Western world came in and they divided the the, uh, the land up and created actual nations with governments and rule of law and monetary systems. And, uh, you know, all the infrastructure required or all the architecture required to have a modern civilization. Right. So what? how that's a bad thing, I truly, truly cannot grasp. You'd rather be primitive savages out in the desert just killing each other. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, back when the, during the, the Gulf War, they were saying 68% of people in the Middle East, 68% of people in the Middle East live like they did back in biblical times. Well. That's a hell of a lot of people. Yeah. We, we should say that, uh, obviously, in, in regards to Northern Africa, North Africa and the Middle East, that the that place was prosperous for slavery and was probably the epicenter of slavery in the world for most of human history. In the West, the West via colonization was they were the ones that uh, actually outlawed slavery, particularly the British, where they saw this was such a barbaric practice that if they found a slave ship, they would just kill the guy kill the guy fronting it on the, or kill the captain of the boat and then yep. just sell the slaves free, which obviously put an incredible damper on slavery in that region. Well, that not, 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 not just that, but think about this. What did the, what did the, uh, what did the Muslim world do to their slaves? They yeah. wanted the slaves around. They did not want any chance of the slaves having any type of sexual contact with the, with the females in the area. And so they castrated them. They called them, they made them into eunuchs. They did not do that to the slaves in the Western world. Right. So that's a that's a pretty pretty bad thing. You you, you take a, a young young man and you castrate him. Yeah. Uh, and the old joke is that they become overweight or whatever because they you know they they eat because they, you know they've lost their manhood. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they they always say oblivious to that fact as well. So. Yeah, so we, we've ended slavery. Slavery was going on for thousands of years in the Middle East, long before the Europeans got involved. Uh, and we are the ones that put an end to it. Right. Yet the little bit of slavery that we were involved in, we're blamed for all of slavery in the world. Yeah. Which makes absolutely zero sense. Yeah. 
Well, the other thing they don't seem to understand is that uh, I'm not quite sure of the data on top of me. I, oh, sorry, I read the analysis of it, but they don't understand that if you look at slavery in a lot of the sub-Saharan African countries, that it actually went away. It promptly went away once there was colonization. You know, it's not like the it's not like the colonizers just enslaved everyone that was there and made them do stuff. They actually right. were trying to they actually were trying to create some sort of economy that actually obviously was meant to benefit the the uh, you obviously was meant to benefit the West, but it still had it still had a, a benefits for them. And one one of the most glaring examples of this is or them being oblivious to this is that they they keep they keep saying that oh well it's just white people that realize this. No, they don't realize that a lot of the managers the, of the uh, countries during colonization were fellow black people or fellow Africans. Right. It wasn't just it wasn't just white people uh, running this, and I'm sure that the every I'm sure. I mean, the 99% of people that unfortunately think, oh, colonization is tantamount to the Holocaust, don't realize this, that uh, a lot of the managers of it were actually white, which I, I should say another thing that I'm kind of dumbfounded by is that uh, these people love saying that uh, colonization is basically part and parcel, of, or not part and parcel, but tantamount are very akin to some sort of like Holocaust, and that it's so objectively bad for people and it caused such uh, suffering and such strife. <laughs> yeah, nothing could be further from the truth. Which they didn't understand that one, I, I referenced it before, but Ni- Nigeria's, uh, I think, first president actually said that colonization, actually, the British actually ran this well and colonization was good. And you can still today hear anecdotes of people that actually bemoan that colonization had to end, you know? I mean, could you imagine a Jew saying, you know, I like that concentration camp. It's it's too bad that had to end and I had to get freed from it. You know, I was Yeah, just... I, well, I mean, think about it this way. Do you like electricity? Do you like television? Do you like radio? Do you like computers? Do you like the convection oven? Do you like the microwave oven? Um, you know, do you like eyeglasses, contact lenses? Um, you know, the list is endless. Ro- paved roads, uh, a, a functioning sewer system. I mean, do you like these things? Right. Because I do. Air conditioning when it's super hot in the summertime so you don't die of a heat stroke or just, you know, just wallow in sweat. Uh, warm, uh, you know, uh, central heating so that your home stays warm. So you're not freezing to death in the wintertime. Uh, food storage, because you, you, you can, uh, they've, they've devised ways of, of uh, storing food that can last forever. Yeah. I, I mean, do you like these modern things? Or would you rather go back to the days where you were throwing spears running around naked? And uh, it was this dog eat dog, kill each other. And no real rules, just whatever, whatever you did is however you did it. I mean, look at Australia. Australia, there was no civilization in Australia. Under the definition of, of civilization, there was no civilization. There were no large population centers. There were no cities. There were no towns. Uh, they were, there were tiny scattered villages, very primitive scattered villages. That, and, and there was no written form of their language. Um, th- there was no nothing. Th- these, these people were extremely, extremely primitive. And they were brought, you know, maybe, maybe they would rather, rather they had stayed that way. I don't know. I prefer modern medicine. I prefer all the thing, all the benefits of Western civilization and modernity. I, I do. But, uh, you know, Australia was extremely primitive. Right. Yeah, it's weird that, uh, once again, they're so oblivious to it, which I think we should say just pivoting a bit, which they love, they love lambasting, particularly sub-Saharan Africa for colonization. They love saying, oh, the argument's essentially that in their mind is that, oh, well, it's so poor today that that had to do with colonization, which 
one of the problems with this argument, uh, I guess, uh, aside, uh, aside from the other stuff we said, is that uh, you can look at Asian countries, and Asian countries have actually fared pretty well from colonization. There doesn't seem, in the, at least in the metric they used to use, that uh, they like to use that. Uh, oh well, it's objectively poor today, so that shows that colonization did no good. Whereas with Asia, no, it's not objectively poor today, and you can actually see countries like Taiwan that uh, perhaps weren't uh, in the 20th century weren't totally colonized, but. Uh, from like the 1950s on, you see an exponential increase in what they were able to do. In the same with Korea. what's the what's the most successful city in the in, in all of Asia? I'm actually not entirely sure. It's um, wow, I can't remember the name of it. Is it Seoul or no, 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 Tokyo or no? They turned the Brits turned it over to China. Oh, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. The most, the most successful, prosperous city in Asia is Hong Kong. Right. And that's because it was under British rule for a long time. Right. It's not a coincidence that it was the most successful and the, the most advanced city uh, in Asia. And, and uh, yet, you know, and every, everywhere else in Asia paled a comparison. It's not a coincidence that Japan is the most successful prosperous country in asia and yet you know their entire culture had to be turned on its head because of war right yeah which uh obviously the thing about hong kong that people like to view as success of it is that all of its laws are are essentially british or that their whole constitution is a british constitution <laughs> they didn't jettison any of it you know right like a lot of sub-Saharan African did with the, their constitutions that were set up by the set up by uh, the Western powers that uh, ruled over it. So that's that's typically viewed as a as a big reason why you find stuff like that. Which even on even on uh, in India or uh, I, I believe it was Taiwan where they did a study showing the the kind of sugarcane plantations that were set up in particular areas, which obviously when they think things like sugarcane, they probably people probably conjure up associations of. Oh, this is like a slave plantation from the West, from in America. These people were must; these people must have been treated horrifically. But it shows that the areas in which they set up, they set up a, a sugar, kind of the sugar plantations. It shows that today those are the economically most prosperous, and that that became like a hub of like innovation. You know, exactly. That's, that's where the West uh, kind of used as a proxy for a lot of kind of their their agriculture. And I'm I'm probably sure that if you if you uh, ferret out enough of the data. Uh, in regards to sub-Saharan Africa, and you look at a lot of like the epicenters of uh, kind of like uh, colonial expansion, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you'll find today that those areas tend to be much more uh, prosperous in the areas that not. Though obviously it could be relative because they jettisoned much of their uh, uh, colonial kind of uh, uh, advances. Right, and if you if we you know heading back to the United States, the United States was this. People always talk about how oh my God, America did this, America did that. They always forget that. Canada did the exact same thing, the exact same thing. They 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 forget that, that that Mexico was created the exact same way. All the different Central and South American countries were it created the exact same way. They forget that, right? For some strange reason. So North America, let's just stick with North America. Let's stick with the, the United States and Canada. Scattered nomadic tribes with no written form of their language. So we're back to that. Scattered nomadic tribes, no big cities, no big towns, scattered nomadic tribes, constantly a war with each other, constantly taking land away from each other, constantly enslaving and torturing each other. 
Some tribes were peaceful. Some tribes were extremely warlike. The Apaches were extremely, extremely. The Apaches and Comanches are the ones that come to mind. Uh, similar names, and they were very, very warlike. Not just against the, the, the Europeans, but against everybody, including other tribes. Right. What did we create? We came here, and we have the most powerful country on the planet. The most successful country on the planet. The freest country on the planet. So I'm sorry, but that's how, that's how evolution works. Evolution is, is constant progress, constant change, constant uh, you know, improvement. Yeah. If you're primitive and you come across, you know, unfortunately, you know, this is the way that life works. If a more, anything, a more primitive culture comes in contact with a more advanced culture, they're going to get the short end of the stick. Right. Now they, they could have, they could have, um, they could have assimilated, but for some reason they just refused. They preferred to run around, you know, on horses. Well, they didn't have horses. We gave them horses, by the way, for all those people that see people, Indians riding around on horses, native American Indians riding around on horses, uh, horses are European. They're not, they're not indigenous to the, to the Americas, to this hemisphere. Right. We brought horses. Yeah, I, I think I we should we should also reference that to the when they talk about assimilation, they're like, oh, well, they didn't let them assimilate whatsoever. And I'm like, we had presidents early on that wanted Native Americans to assimilate. The most famous of which was Thomas Jefferson. And while it was definitely the case that uh, you obviously had Jackson and the Trail of Tears, it's I mean, do you really think? I mean, I don't think that would have been precipitated to the same extent if uh, Indians had assimilated. You know, well, if they to, if they had assimilated, it wouldn't have been necessary. Right. It yeah. would not have been necessary. You wouldn't have to have the, 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 the reason why that they were put, put in certain places to, to be kind of, you know, held in, in place is because they were so violent and warlike. If they had simply capitulated and, be, and, and assimilated into society and become another, you know, part of society, uh, just like the, the Italians and the Germans and the Swedes and, and everybody else and the Japanese and Chinese and whoever else came over. If they had simply assimilated, everything would have been fine. Yeah. I, I think we, we should probably also say kind of a dovetailing at this point a bit. And I know it's something you love to say, but to, when the Romans basically conquered and in effect colonized all of Europe, they also they forced it to modernize, you know, it was a it was an inferior culture going against a superior one and the superior one went out. Yep. And force the inferior one to ultimately augment their ways, which I think was actually, I, I can't see how that's a bad thing, you know? No. <clears throat> the Romans came in and they, they conquered the Germanic tribes. They, con they conquered the, the Celtic and Gaelic tribes. Uh, they conquered uh, the, the, the French tribes. They, they conquered everybody. They conquered Western Europe. And they, these, these were very barbaric people. And they were they were uh, civilized by the Romans. Now I'm not Italian. I'm not you know I have no lineage that uh, attaches to Rome. But uh, the facts are the facts. Right. Without the Romans, God knows how long the Euro the rest of Europe would have been uh, barbarians. Yeah. I. What was I going to say? I think the other thing that. Uh... And I, I think this uh, uh, America in regards to colonization, I know this came up with Charlie Kirk where he said something recently, I don't know if you saw it, that uh, oh, uh, British, the British colonization was ultimately a good thing because it spread such great values and they were referencing the case of the Americas where they're like, oh, well, what happened here? 
And the whole point there is that, yes, we ultimately did separate from the British colonies, but the British colonies also set up, set us up for what we are, you know? Right. We ultimately came there. Well, I, I guess the British world's with the most dominant colonies are obviously different. They're obviously different countries focusing on different things and often fighting with each other. But the whole thing about that is that the British colonies set up the country for what it was initially. I mean, obviously, eventually we disliked it, but we told it to diverge. I, I And my, my kind of uh, retort to all these people is, can you find the same thing in a sub-Saharan country where they they actually made the country very good and they're like, okay, well, I actually want to diverge from this. And when they diverge from it, they actually became a much better country or at least even close to it. And the only, the only country I would point out would be South Africa. And South Africa, after a while, turned the reins over to the indigenous population. And then everything spiraled right, right into the toilet. Yeah, right. And I should say this, the other kind of nonsense, which... Uh, I'm not quite sure of all, like, I'm sure they just have totally stupid and convoluted arguments if you look at it, but I'm sure they love arguing that, oh, well, America maybe was much better because they were already white, so they were viewed as blah, 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 which they don't understand there was incredible tension between these things leading up to it. And if it was the case that they're all white, as people like to infer, and that means that uh, they're going to be like fellow white supremacists together and not clash, then why do we have such a brutal American revolution, you know? Exactly. So many people died. Exactly. There, there was a huge fight between three major powers. The, the three major powers were the Brits, the French, and the Spaniards. Those were the three major powers that were fighting for control over, over the, uh, the Americas. And of course, you know, the, the Spaniards got Mexico, Central America, and South America. Uh, the Portuguese got some of South America. Um, and of course, the Brits got uh, North America eventually after they battled the French. The Brits got North America and uh, Canada, although Canada is still divided between the British Canada and, and uh, the French Canada. Right. Which is also the point of a lot of contentions going on in modern day France. I'm, I'm sorry, modern day uh, Canada. Yeah. And we also should say that uh, if you look at a lot of these colonies like Canada and Australia that ultimately never left the crown, they ultimately just kind of they just kind of became their own thing and they kind of became their own kind of separate countries and the crown really became just a figurative thing, you know? Right. And that would have, that likely would have happened. I'm not quite sure if there's any uh, sub-Saharan, I think there are some sub-Saharan African countries that are never quite left the crown or I'm actually not entirely sure, but I know Jamaica hasn't, but that probably would have been the case with a lot of these colonies where it would have just been like if America never left or if there was never an American revolution, it would have been the case that uh, the kind of control that uh, the British ultimately had over America would have just diluted because you can't it just it just it just went away yeah because you probably and likely because you can't manage such a prosperous economy and it kind of becomes its own entity whereas obviously in sub-saharan africa the whole point is or a big reason why they had so much control is that it never quite greened such a substantive footing that it could just split off on its own you know right right well the thing is is this we split off from the crown but we're still we're still basically we're you know what we are we're a european civilization transplanted into another continent that's all we are instead of europe we're in north america but we're still european civilization right even today with all the all the fighting and and all the uh hatred of uh, of white people and europeans and all this other stuff and uh demonization of western civilization and, and everything else we're still we're still basically a european nation yeah we're just technically not in europe just like australia is technically a european nation just like south africa for a long time was it was a western was a european nation uh same thing with canada and the yeah. only difference is we're not in europe but we're we're still and even new zealand 
we're still European nations. We just aren't technically in Europe. Yeah. And that's the key to our success. Which I, I going back to kind of the, the arguments or I guess the people that were mad at Charlie Kirk, which I'm wondering if the argument they were trying to make is that, oh, well, because we left the crown, we ultimately jettisoned all aspects of the culture, which the problem is that just just not true as evidenced by what you're saying. It's this idea of that, uh, which really the only case where you can find really jettisoned substantive uh, amounts of the culture would be sub-Saharan Africa. And obviously you see how that ends up, which shows that and kind of dovetails with one of our earlier discussion on multiculturalism that, uh, no, they found a successful culture. They just didn't want to be ruled by it, or at least in the case of America. And they stuck with that culture and then they powered through and look what they became. Yeah, we, did, we didn't reject the culture. We, reje- we, we simply became autonomous. We still hold on to the culture, all the different cultural norms. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, you know, slight variations here and there because we're a different country in a different place. But, you know, we try to make slight and somewhat improvements of the old culture. But we're still, we're still basically British citizens. That's, that's just a fact. We speak English. Uh, our, our greatest ally, our, our closest ally is the U.K., um, and, uh, and that's the bottom line. The most successful and the most, the most civilized country in the Middle East is Israel. Israel is the most, uh, Western civilization in the Middle East. It's not a coincidence, folks. Yeah. It's not a coincidence. The Europeans, wherever they go, the Western civilization with their colonialism improves every single area they go into. Yeah. I, I think we should also say kind of a point that, uh, or in regards to Israel is that something they love arguing this kind of goes back to the reversal of fortunes is that oh well these countries had a, these countries that were colonized had a vast amount of resources in the United States or not the United States but the West ultimately essentially just pimped them out and usurped them so that's why a lot of these countries are so stymied but the problem is is that Israel I mean before Israel was Israel it was British Palestine and it was under Sykes-Pico you know and Israel uh, for those that don't know, have, has virtually no resources whatsoever. Right. And today is a prosperous first world country and the most successful country. Well, I think some of the, maybe some of the uh, uh, oil rich countries might uh, have higher GDPs per capita. I'm actually pretty sure they do, but uh, it's still a very prosperous first world country like the rest of the West. But, and it has but, no let, let, Well, let's pause right there. Why do some of the other, other Middle Eastern countries have a high GDP? Oh, because of oil and natural. Because of oil. And who, 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 who came up with the oil industry in the first place? The Europeans. If it wasn't the entire, the entire Middle Eastern um, success is based on uh, petroleum. Right. Without the Europeans, there would be no petroleum in the Middle East. We're the ones that came up with the whole damn thing in the first place. Was it the, was it the Middle Eastern people that, that invented the combustion engine? No, it wasn't. Was it the Middle Eastern people that found the oil reserves in the Middle East and, and uh, decided to create companies to pump the oil out of the ground and use it for products and services and, and, and to, you know, to, for fuel? No. That, was, again, was the Europeans. Eventually they took it over, but we're the ones that created it in the first place. So how, how wealthy or how, how well they, could they sustain their economies without petroleum? Right. That they better hope that all these green energy initiatives and all the different things that we're trying to do uh, fails flat. Because if it does, they're screwed. If it succeeds, they're absolutely screwed. If, if, you're, if your only product is no longer needed, what are you going to do? Right. 
yeah, that uh, they're going in the tubes. That's uh, that's that's it for the Middle East, right? Being economically pr- prosperous. Yeah. What are you going to do if if the entire world or even large parts of the world finds other other resources? First of all, the United States. This is what drives me crazy about the left and liberals. The, the United States and Canada could be energy independent tomorrow. Tomorrow, we just refuse to do it. Right. They refuse to do it. That we could become energy independent tomorrow. We would no, need no oil uh, from uh, from Russia. We we knew it need no oil from the Middle East, from Africa, from Venezuela, from nowhere. We would be completely energy independent. And I'm not even talking about uh, renewable energy. The renewable energy right now is an absolute joke. Maybe sometime in the future we'll figure something out, but right now it's an absolute joke. It's just not a viable source. Would, would it be great? Absolutely be great. Do you want to keep working on it? Yeah, please keep working on it. But not in my lifetime, not in your lifetime, not in anybody's lifetime. It's not going to happen. So maybe 100 years from now or 200 years from now or who knows, but no time in the, in the foreseeable future. So become energy dependent and don't have to, don't, you know, you want to you choke off our enemies? Simply stop buying their product. It's just that easy. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, you do kind of have to wonder a bit, uh, kind of uh, forging an analogy from this. Could kind of the same thing uh, function in kind of a, a sub or a lot of sub-Saharan Africa where the, the economy probably would have done better if it was under kind of the, ma- uh, the managerial role of the British or I guess the other kind of Western powers that colonized it. And kind of the same thing with the, uh, uh, which is obviously similar to the Middle East, because once, I guess, our oil, which I guess very well could be kind of later on in the century, once our oil kind of peters out, could it be the case that they're ultimately going to end up in the dumps and it would be the case that that was the only thing they were able to do successfully? Yeah. You know, which you, I mean, you'd have to kind of wonder questions like that, <laughs> which obviously if they reference it, which... I think most kind of West, I think most Westerners that, uh, or a lot of Westerners that would seemingly uh, uh, lambast colonization is horrible, would say that, oh, well, a lot of these Middle Eastern economies, there are really only structures through oil, but they don't realize that the same thing probably using the same rationale that applies to a lot of sub-Saharan African countries where their only kind of prosper, prosperity had from uh, emulating Western culture and ultimately uh, being under the control or the domain of a lot of Western culture. Yeah, of course. It's 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 true about it's true about sub-Saharan African countries. It's true about the Middle East. It's true. It's even true about Russia. Uh, it's true about uh, oh, um, Venice places like Venezuela. Uh, they're petroleum-based economies. Without petroleum, they're done. You want to choke them off? You could defeat them simply by not buying their product. Right. You could you could completely bring them to their knees overnight by simply. Let, you know, the first thing Joe Biden did, he got rid of all the offshore oil drilling. He shut down the, the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, there was other projects that were going on that he shut down. Uh, they refused to, you know, to get oil in Anwar, which is Anwar is, is like part of the uh, part of uh, like a little section of Alaska. Um, and that would make us just those things alone would make us oil and would make us energy independent. Just those things. Plus, if we upgraded our nuclear power plants, we still have nuclear power plants. We're just letting them decay and, and, and become unusable eventually. But France, France, over 80% of France's energy is created by nuclear power. Over 80%. Right. If we, if we drilled in, for oil and we opened up the pipelines and offshore oil drilling here in the United States, 
and we upgraded our nuclear uh, power plants and maybe even created a few more, we would be completely. And if you're a, if you're big into the environment, you should want us to open nuclear plants. You should want us to upgrade the old nuclear plants. Yeah. Nuclear is the cleanest burning fuel, the cleanest by far. And it's unlike unlike solar and all the other green energy. It's it's viable and on a large scale. Yeah. Which uh, we should say that uh, I think Germany, with the kind of the uh, with uh, well, I guess Russia still Russia still producing as much oil. It's just that because they don't want to buy it outright, it's going to the Middle East. So essentially, they're making the environment worse. Right. And they have to transfer it. Uh, they have to go through more hoops and ladders to actually transfer it, and they're also. Uh, Drumming up the price because it has to go through uh, different uh, different avenues, <laughs> but uh, the one thing that mystifies me about uh, about a lot of these countries, particularly Germany, is that uh, we're seeing at least initially, uh, at least early on in kind of the Ukraine conflict, where they cut off all uh, oil, they cut off oil, all uh, oil uh, business in regards to oil. You saw a surge in energy needs, and they ultimately started, uh, I guess, re-upping a lot of uh, the their kind of coal plants which is usually considered like persona non grata as far as a energy policy goes. You really do not want to reopen coal plants, which, I mean, to be fair, they're more or less correct, but it's, it really does not make any sense. Well, how do they think that electricity is generated? That's my, that's, that's what I'm always confused about. Uh, you know, yes, there's hydroelectric power, but that's, that only works in certain areas, uh, you know, at, at certain times of the year. Um, but, you know how does how how do they think the electricity in the rest of the country is generated? How, 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 how does that generate? I forget now. Okay, does anybody know? I, I I totally forget. Yeah, exactly. You have to you have to have coal. You have to have natural gas. You have to have those things. If you don't have them, then then you, it, it, electricity goes bye bye. Yeah, I, I should say one other point that uh, kind of mystifies me is that I guess California is, I guess, having an energy shortage or they did last week. And one of the first things that they tell you they when they give like an, when they opine or just, I guess, explicitly tell you not to uh, uh, and, uh, use energy on certain things. One of it was uh, electric cars, which <laughs> basically meant that uh, <laughs> you can't power your car whatsoever. But it is the case that if you had a non-electric car like gas, you could just wait you could uh, just fill it up in like three, four minutes. Yeah. Whereas the problem with the electric cars, which I actually didn't know this is it takes like 10, 12 hours to power it all the way through. Um, it, you can, you can power, you can, a full charge only lasts about three hours, three hours of driving. So however far you got to go in three hours. And then when you refuel to, you can go another three hours, but it, it, I think it takes another, it takes, it takes like 12 hours to refuel to re yeah. recharge up. So what do you think is going to happen to your electric bill? And what happens if the electric goes out in your house or your, your area? So not only can you not use electricity in your house, but you can't go anywhere. Right. You're stranded. So this is the insanity. And uh, oh, uh, Gavin Newsom was saying on, on the news, uh, I want everybody. And he's wearing a fleece jacket with a, with a, with a hat on. Uh, a fleece jacket. And, and he's telling everybody... Make sure that your air conditioning is set at 78. You know where my air conditioner stays at? At least 70, sometimes 68. Mm. It never goes above 72. Yeah. I'm glad I don't live in California. Me too. Yeah, that would, uh, that would suck very much. Imagine being in, imagine being in, in, in some uh, tropical area like Florida or Georgia 
or or um, you know anywhere you can think of along the coast, and and you can't use your air conditioning with all that humidity. Right. That would be brutal. Yeah. I. Yeah. I, I should say just to pivoting really quickly back to, I guess sub-Saharan. I guess uh, back to colonization in Africa. The one thing that uh, these people love arguing for and that they don't actually have many uh, really substantive or verified evidence for is that they love arguing that if you look at a lot of the tribal conflicts, they're actually, they're ultimately all predicated, uh, they're ultimately all spurred due to colonialism and that, uh, oh, this is the legacy of colonialism where the country's so divided, <laughs> which if you actually look at a lot of this stuff, I don't think it's like, like with India, they can argue that uh, they set up a caste system of a lot of the more successful groups and that creates division. And a lot of Indians that uh, even do like Western culture will sometimes lambast that or, or lament that as a bad part of Western, uh, I guess, the West, the Western kind of uh, influx of, uh, of India. But with Africa, I can't find the same thing. And they love saying that, oh, well, they separated these lands and then they, they ultimately spurred kind of tribal conflicts. But even if you did, that they actually kind of demarcated areas with, with kind of, uh, uh, I guess, heterogeneous tribes or tribes that didn't mesh well. Doesn't that ultimately just say more about the land? That... Yeah, it just, it just says that they're chaotic, warlike people that can't get along. Yeah, which I, I one of the things I was baffled by, and uh, 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 Gilly made this point, is that uh, they they seemingly he found an article where this woman is a kind of pre, it was a kind of a I guess a preeminent scholar in like colonization, and she was seemingly like uh, lambasting the West for supposedly I guess dividing up areas in this spurred conflict. Wolf saying that uh, multiculturalism is ultimately a good thing and we need to people to mesh together in like the same article and not realizing that there was a total contradiction in what you were saying, <laughs> you know, which I think once again shows that these people, they operate from like some sort of like woke ideology that ultimately says that, uh, oh, well, the West always bad and multiculturalism is good. And for some reason, they can compartmentalize and say the West is bad for this, even though it shows that, uh, oh, well, multiculturalism or some sort of rosy liberal value didn't apply to here which which i, I think i should say that the my kind of main point here is that uh, if you look at the the amount of research that's done on colonization and the people at lambast it they can't find like any any evidence whatsoever saying how exactly these tribes or why exactly there's so much ethnic conflict in africa and that when they do they like to they like to quote a source that came from as evidenced by the washington post article that was written in 1900 and had no source material and had no source for it whatsoever. And it was essentially just something they stated. Right. Which, I mean, the, the, the one thing I like to reference to people when they bring up like the West being barbaric or a lot of times they'll argue like, Oh, well look at the West. It's much barbaric, barbaric. Just look at all the tribal conflicts going on. Look up wars and Af and sub-Saharan Africa and see all the tribal conflict wars that are going on. <laughs> and tell well, me well, think about it this way. In uh, in um, what was it? Uh, where was it that they had the genocide with the uh, with the machetes? Oh, the Toulouse. I'm forgetting which country that was. Um, well, either way, they they killed they killed. Uh, was it Rwanda? No, I don't think it was. Yeah, Rwanda. 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 Okay, they 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 killed a million of each other, over a million, with machetes, primarily machetes. Yeah. Imagine if they had more advanced uh, weapons. Yeah. If you're able to kill over a million people with machetes. In a war, in, in, in a civil war. I mean, what would you do if you had, you know, tanks and 
the idea is, is that they're, they, they don't kill as many people. Well, it's very, you know, you're limited on how many people you can kill when, uh, when you use a machete. And the machete was probably made by somebody in China or, or uh, Europe. <laughs> you didn't even create the machete. But when you only have like a spear or a, you know, bow and arrow or, a, or, or whatever, poison dart or a machete, you're kind of a club that you beat somebody in the head with. You're kind of limited on how many people you can kill. Right. as compared to like a machine gun or a tank or missiles or whatever. And mind you, that was that was only over a span of uh, three months. So in three Yeah. months, they killed that many, that much people, that many people. So. Yeah, that's 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 not an example of them being less violent. That's that's an example of them being less advanced. Less, Yeah. less they don't have the advanced weaponry. Otherwise, I can't even imagine how many people they would have killed. Well, the one thing that I, I'm kind of, I guess this does show that how really poor the scholarship is that because I guess people didn't really enter Africa until like, uh, probably like the 16th, 17th century, that because there's really no, I guess, have you say that there's no, by definition, there's no civilization and there's no really written language that they really cannot study any of this stuff. And it, it seems like on kind of, uh, kind of when they like to argue that, oh, ethnic conflict was ultimately spurred by colonialization, that uh, ethnic conflict didn't start from nowhere. And it seems that pretty much all of the ethnic conflicts predate coloniza colonialization. And that uh, once the kind of the colonizers ultimately started to dissipating, that uh, a lot of these conflicts were left, were left to kind of brew again. Uh, they had carte blanche to brew again. And that's where you see a lot of them kind of take off, which I, it's, it's something that if you look at a lot of this deta these details that they obviously have to show, and as referenced by the By they, they like to argue that Africa is more prosperous where they really cannot find any data backing it up because or they like to argue that uh, Africa was more prosperous pre-colonization or would have done better if uh, they had not been colonized, but they can't actually argue any sort of date, substantive data sets for it. They just have to infer things. <laughs> Well, it's a fan. It's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. Would they have had the, an electric grid anywhere in Africa? Would they have? Would they have had cars or trucks? You know, automobiles. Uh, would they have? A, would they have had radio uh, and television? Would they have refrigerators? Yeah. Um, you know, would they have uh, airplanes? Uh, no, they would have none of these things. But None of these things. yeah, my, my point there was that there's so few when they if you actually look how they try to forge like any sort of data or history kind of pre-colonialization, they'll just pretty much just go off anecdotes or I guess what's seen as like the oral tradition. And they'll try to like uh, uh, get that such that it actually comports with actual scientific substantive data, which they have to really kind of grasp with draws and make really kind of substantive inferences with. But the one thing I'm, I'm kind of most, uh, I guess, bewildered by this is in regards to like ethnic conflict, where they probably have, they could probably map out all the substantive ethnic conflicts and see that it's not the West, but these people will not put in the research or the time to do it or show that where these kind of uh, ethnic conflicts uh, originate or the genesis for a lot of the con particular conflicts in the region. And they instead just blame it on that colonial West, which. Well, the bottom line is everything is our fault. Every Yeah. everything we do wrong is our fault, and everything everybody else does is our fault. Yeah. I mean that that's really the bottom line for it. Nobody's at fault for anybody. The only only person on the entire in the entire world who's truly at fault and responsible for everything is if you're a white Christian uh, American male, conservative, Yeah. heterosexual. That's the ultimate devil. There's, there's, there's degradations. There's other little devils. There, you know, there's levels. Yeah. You know, Australia's devils. UK are devils. <laughs> and then if we, once you get past the white guys, maybe the Asians.
we're, we're all devils, you know, in, in the minds of leftists. Nobody's at fault for anything except for us. Again, we're at fault for everything we do wrong. We're at fault for everything everybody else does wrong, which I find very interesting. And and as de demonstrated by the so-called the friendly atheist podcast, we're the only ones that can be. Uh, we're the only ones can that people can uh, openly be racist and sexist towards. You yep. can be as bigoted as you want against a white male, especially if he's a heterosexual, especially if he's a Christian. You can definitely be bigoted against him, especially if he's an American. Oh, my God, or a conservative. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, the trick is what you got to do is you got to you got to blame calling it. You got to blame a, a Christian conservatives for everything and then say that they're the root of the problem and then get a co-host that instead of saying Christian conservative just says white Christians. Right. Just white Christians. Yeah, so just showing their hand and just showing that they're just they're operating under woke nonsense, right? But uh, well, at least at least the at least the the host had had enough uh, guts to respond. It was a half-assed response. It really didn't answer anything. It just said that you're wrong about a lot of things, and I don't know. That was it. And it, I think it said that we focus on Christians because um, because they have the most political power. Uh, yeah. I, I focus on the people that are the most violent. I, I don't focus on people that disagree with me politically. I mean, I do, but I don't hyper-focus on that. I mean, do you want somebody to vote? Is it, which is worse? Somebody voting in a way that you don't think they should vote for a law that you don't think should be law or somebody, you know, raping your sister or chopping your damn head off <laughs> or robbing you when you're trying to go to the, go to the uh, ATM. What's the, what's the worst one? I, I'm, I'm going to go with the, uh, the nonviolent uh, legal, uh, differences instead of the the violent illegal differences i'm gonna i'm gonna side with the the you know there's plenty of people i disagree with but when violence and criminality enter into the picture it's it's a completely different situation but it's it's it, it's very peculiar to me it's very very peculiar i think it's one of the most odd things i've ever come across is when a white person hates white people absolutely unabashedly hates white people and western civilization it's very strange it's a very strange form of bigotry and like i said at least he responded with the one time she never responded because what can she say right i've got all of her i've got all of her comments on tape i've got it all recorded and in fact i'm sure i can pull out tons and tons and tons and tons of more comments and i'm sure you know sometime in the future i will but she's unabashedly uh racist She's unabashedly sexist and bigoted towards Christians and, and not a big fan of Western civilization. Yep. And I'm sure she hates colon <laughs> colonization as well or colonialism. I'm sure she does. Yeah. Um, I think we pretty much said everything we need to say. I, the only thing I would say that I've, I've kind of uh, already referenced this, but. Uh... Well, one thing I want to say, the, so I'm, I'm very difficult. It's very difficult to say his name for me. Uh, so I'm not even going to try. But her name is Jessica Bloomkey, and I guess Grief or Greif, G-R-E-I-F-F. -F. So I guess that's her married name. And of course, she you know did the whole hyphenated name as, as if Bloomkey isn't her father's last name. It's still it's still uh, a masculine last name. Still masculine surname, whether it's your husband's or your or your father's. So um, yeah, Jessica Bloomkey. B L U E M K E Jessica Blumke and grief G I'm, she, I, I'm going to call it grief. I don't know how to pronounce it. So I'm going to say grief G R E I F F. 
So what she, she says, uh, host-friendly podcast, <laughs> friendly podcast, host-friendly atheist podcast, and uh, Cooper Duper. I have no idea what the hell Cooper Duper is. A Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, writer, feminist, adult horse girl, dog haver, pro-choice, BLM, and she, her. <laughs> mm. Could she be any more of a stereotypical lefty? Honestly. Did she wait? Did she say Twin Peaks as in the show? I think I think that's what she's referencing. I'm not positive. Okay. Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. I don't know if it's. I don't know if she actually talks about the show or if she means that she kind of lives that type of lifestyle. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. As as someone that's uh, read Twin Peaks, that liked Twin Peaks and read the two books that. Uh... I guess uh, one of the books that uh, I forgot the co-writer of it. Uh, I don't know if that's going to use for, I don't know if uh, I'm a regular Twin Peaks fan then if given that uh, I guess she refers or I guess she's supposed to be the regular Twin Peaks fans. Yeah. I couldn't get into it. I watched a little bit of Twin Peaks. I, I couldn't really, I really, I didn't read the books and I couldn't get into the series. So I know very little about it. Yeah. I love David Lynch, but uh, a lot of uh, Lynch heads tend to be just total pretentious douchebags. So exactly. Uh, pr- point proven. Yes. Yeah. So, what is his name? Let's try to figure out his name because I his name is Hemant H E M A N T and then M E H T A. I have absolutely no fucking clue how to pronounce that. It sounds Indian to me. Yeah, I think he was, but I truly have no idea how to pronounce it. Yeah, I find it odd. Listening to her, I don't think I've ever heard her reference his name, which makes me wonder. Yeah, it makes me wonder if she knows how to pronounce it. Yeah, friendly atheist. Hemant Mata? I, I don't know. I really I really don't know. I'm sure I'm a bad person for not knowing how to pronounce somebody's name. Yeah. It's in Chicago. That's got it's not letting me copy and paste stuff. Oh well. I guess we'll Uh, I guess he wrote an article a couple hours ago where he published an article about uh, the New York Times going after Hasidic Jews. Yeah, I saw that. Which I'm wondering, I, I have yet to read the total, the full article. I couldn't find it, but uh, that might be an interesting uh, discussion. Or yeah, they did. They, I believe they did a podcast. I could be wrong, but I believe they did a podcast on the supposed abuse of, uh, of uh, Jewish children where they're raised, uh, J- the Jewish boys are raised to become rabbis and, and nothing nothing else according to them yeah. and so yeah i wouldn't mind listening to that podcast and and seeing if it what they're saying is just pure liberal bullshit like most of the things that come out of their mouths or if they actually have a valid point yeah i i can say i'm somewhat ambivalent on hasidic jews yeah, i am i am too as far as some of the i think they might have some fair criticisms that uh, don't devolve into anti-semitism like a lot of people like to suggest right at least from what i've seen uh, I, I, I should probably, I guess we've already kind of made every point to want to make about uh, colonization, but I, I would say that the, the one thing you can find, and I, I really do challenge people to read, uh, Bruce Gillies, I guess at least the retort he wrote, cause that's probably the most substantive and then read, uh, the Washington post article that, uh, that, uh, came out against this because you can look at the Washington, he, he does point by point, he dissects what the Washington post article has to say. 
And he just closed up this, this liberal professor that wrote it from Ohio and just spouted absolute nonsense in there. And he was trying to uh, lambast uh, Bruce Gilley for being a, a poor scholar and not really following it to the, I guess, the, to the morals or the scruples of it, when you can actually look at the, some of the stuff he did and it's absolute nonsense, such as claiming, claiming that uh, the scholarship settled on stuff that was written over 100 years ago that has no source to it, or that... Uh, <laughs> Or in the case of uh, thinking, or in the case that he constantly says that oh, colonialization, uh, colonialism is uh, there's such a, there's such a slew of research showing that it's bad, and then only referencing one study, and then right. easily debunking it. Which it, he really does make the you do see this with uh, I mean maybe this is why I didn't pursue academia or try to go into it, but you do see bullshit like where any references this where they'll cite a bunch of stuff or sources to make it seem legit. But it's actually the case that those sources ultimately mean nothing, and they probably didn't even read them. They just wanted to make their sources seem more legit. And typically, I guess most uh, a lot of graduate students are taught not to do that. But uh, apparently, uh, not the it's not the case when it comes to racism or something. When you're trying to uh, uh, bludgeon your <laughs> bludgeon your uh, enemy, uh, quote unquote, and show that uh, what they're saying is so ridiculous. So you have to just. Put, pull a slew of resources acting like everyone uh, a slew of uh, resources acting or references acting like everyone agrees with you so that's that's pretty much all i had to say on that colon that's my main takeaway from reading yeah nonsense. well let, let, let's let's uh let me wrap this up then so let me repeat this one more time for everybody in the cheap seats um if you don't like modern western civilization if you think colonialism had no benefits then go live in the woods shed your clothes Go, 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 you know, strip naked. Don't take anything with you and go live in the woods. And, you know, there's people out there's actually people that do it. There's people that do it. It's possible. So go live in the woods. If you don't like Western civilization, if you don't like modern architecture, if you don't like, uh, you know, if you don't like the sewer system and uh, running water, if you don't like modern medicine, if you don't like electricity, uh, if you don't like television and radio and air conditioning and uh, and refrigerators, then go live in the woods. Nobody's stopping you. You don't have to drive a car. You don't have to ride on a train. You don't have to ride in a plane. You don't have to do any of these things. You don't have to wear modern clothes. If you're if you're of European descent, you feel this way. Go live in the woods. If you're a native, if you're a native, if you're one of the indigenous people that were colonized, and you don't like the way things are going, there's plenty of jungles out there. Go to some. Go along the Amazon. And go go live with one of the tribes that are sitting around naked, picking their ass, while they uh, decide which one of each other they're going to hit in the head and eat that for that for that meal. Go do it. Nobody's stopping you. Nobody's forcing you not to do this thing. Nobody's saying, "Hey, you have to stay here. You have to be part of Western civilization. You have to be a part of modernity. You don't have to do that." The the, the door is open. Nobody's forcing you to be around. But you won't do that. Because you love everything Western civilization has brought you. You love everything that colonialism has brought you. And, and if you don't, then prove me wrong. It's, it's like all those moronic, uh, it's like all those moronic famous people, the movie stars and the actors and the singers and everybody else that said, if Donald Trump wins, I'm going to leave the country. And none of them left. None of them left. Oh, uh, what's it? Samuel L. Jackson started complaining on Twitter because everybody was saying, why are you still in America? Why, why haven't you left yet? But he didn't really have a response <laughs> because he had egg all over his stupid face. So again, if you don't like it, leave. It's just that simple. I'm not saying leave America, leave, leave Western civilization. 
Go live in a third world country. You don't have to go out in the woods. Go live in some third world country that's you know that's that's better than we are. You're you're welcome to. I, I in fact I encourage it. I'd prefer you did. Otherwise, shut the fuck up. And and stop stop uh, you know stop virtue signaling. Nobody's impressed. At least I'm not. And I'm not sure. I'm sure brighter later is not. Nope. So that being said, now that I'm done addressing the pretentious liberal douchebags, uh, we're going to move on to the rest of the show, which is to wrap this up. If you like what you've heard today or any of the other podcasts we've done, please subscribe, leave feedback. Nobody, everybody listens. Nobody leaves feedback. It's, it's a hell of a thing. It's like pulling teeth to get people to leave feedback. Why? I have no idea. I went online and I found out that a lot of people have this problem. So what the problem, what they, what the source of the problem is, I, I don't know. There's plenty of people listening, nobody leaving feedback or very few. So please leave feedback, whether it's positive feedback, negative feedback, or whatever the case may be, please leave feedback. I would, I absolutely love it. I'm not just saying that. Uh, and uh, we, we drop a podcast Monday through Friday. And that means Sunday night into Monday morning. So after 12, uh, 12.01 a.m. Monday morning, we drop the first podcast and we drop one Monday through Friday. So the last one will be dropped Thursday going into Friday after 12.01 a.m. Friday morning. So middle of the night. Uh, and they last anywhere from an hour to two hours and sometimes as much as three hours. It all depends on the topic. It all depends on the guest that we're interviewing. If we have a guest inter interview of a guest, it all depends on a lot of factors. Uh, we try to touch, touch on all the top uh, topics that people are interested in speaking about, especially ones that people don't like to talk about. We try to take the viewpoint of, of uh, we try to uh, expose the positions that people consider a taboo that nobody else addresses. And we try to interview very interesting guests. And so far, I think we've, we've achieved that. So feel free to subscribe, feel free to listen. Um, whether you're in the United States, Canada, or anywhere else, anywhere else in the world, please feel free to subscribe and listen. You're you're more than welcome. So that being said, tonight when you go to sleep and you're laying in the dark, looking up at the ceiling, starting to drift off into dreamland, I want you to repeat this mantra: Conservative atheist is always right. 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 And in the morning, you're going to wake up, you're going to feel refreshed, you're going to be a new person. The sun is going to shine brighter. The flowers are going to smell sweeter. The air is going to be crisper. The birds are going to sing your name. And all will be right with the world. And if it's not, then that means you're just a jackass and you haven't listened to enough conservative atheists. So stop being a knucklehead and listen to more podcasts. All right, you knuckleheads. Have a good night.